It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way. Happy to be back. Uh, I hope you uh, had a chance to get through, have a, a great weekend with you and your family. Took some time to salute those who lost their lives fighting for our country. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Dan Abrams outlines an important part of our country's past, ugly part, and that is the assassination of John F. Kennedy and the man who assassinated Lee Harvey Oswald. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, Jack Ruby. It's called Kennedy's Avenger, uh, Assassination Conspiracy and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby. Uh, We'll discuss that, but we're also going to be talking uh, about everything else that's going on in the world and how uh, President Biden is so determined to undo anything Donald Trump did, he is hurting our country beyond description. Everything from energy to security to economics. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hate that never goes away. Hate only hides. Hate's never defeated. And given a little bit of oxygen, it comes out of there from under the rock like it was happening again, as if it never went away. Unbelievable. Uh, The race obsession continues for President Biden and his administration. The latest stop, Tulsa, points out an ugly point in our past. hundred years ago. Yes, it didn't happen in 2020. It happened in 1920. So talk about that and talk about the progress we made, but opportunity lost, further racial division, and some of his ridiculous statements will be revealed. Number two. I think many in the country threw open their mouth a little bit when they heard that Dr. Anthony Fauci will be releasing a book mm-hmm. on the pandemic, thereby profiting off the pandemic. You had Cuomo profiting off a pandemic, a government official. Now we have Fauci doing it as well. I think this is appalling. Uh, true, uh, Joe Concha. The audacity of Anthony Fauci, his early misinformation cost thousands of lives. His denial of the lab theory has let China off the hook. So why not take a page from Governor Cuomo and write a book? Why I believe he will soon succumb to the same fate as Cuomo, one of disgrace. Number one. Another Russian ransomware attack. JBS's shutdown yesterday impacted all nine beef plants, which counts for about a quarter of all U.S. beef. JBS's CEO said in a statement, quote, the vast majority of our beef, pork, poultry, and prepared foods plants will be operational Wednesday. Russia again. Another devastating cyber attack after the East Coast was denied of oil and gas thanks to the Colonial Pipeline Russian Cyber Group hack. Now another massive hack takes down portions of North America's meat industry. Russia, true to its word, is saying they will send the U.S. unpleasant messages before the June 16th summit. Punch them back, Joe, or don't even consider uh, going. And that's unbelievable to me. This guy, Sergei Rabakov, he's Russia's deputy foreign minister. He warned that President Putin's government would send an unpleasant message to the U.S. if they do not discuss a wide range of issues. They're upset that NATO was NATO and they're on their border. Where else would they be? The Americans must assume that a number of signals from Moscow will be uncomfortable for them. Really? Nice little warning there. Do we know, can someone tell Russia and Joe Biden that we have the superior military, the, the superior economic uh, costs, we have the superior cyber attack mode and security mode, even though we've done nothing to help in private industry but pay off ransom? I guarantee you this meat industry, this latest hack, 
Uh, they're going to end up writing a check. It's Brazilian-based, but in New York, uh, excuse me, in America, they have so many outlets, it might as well be an American company. Uh, so the U.S.-based JBS meatpacking facility also experienced service interruptions. They have the uh, the beef that has 25% of the whole country's uh, meat and beef is now being held up. They say that things are beginning to get on track right now, but cyber criminals based in Russia have attacked it. Canada and Australia both reported shutdowns uh, in their work uh, due to uh, due to the hack. Uh, also affected uh, various states, Utah, Texas, Arizona, Colorado, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all hit by this cyber attack. Overall, the actual, actual number is 20% of USB uh, production. Why does this happen? Another mysterious hit from Vladimir Putin's Russia. Keep in mind, this same group, the Russians, had their foreign minister, Lavrov, yesterday say they are registering a complaint with the U.N., about the way we treat the Russian rioters, excuse me, the January 6th rioters. They say that they've been in prison since, and that's not fair. That is a total tweak at us. But about the hack itself, here's what Karen Jean-Pierre said. She is the White House Principal Deputy Press Secretary, cut one. JBS notified the administration that the ransom demand came from a criminal organization likely based in Russia. The White House is engaging directly with the Russian government on this matter and delivering the message that responsible states do not harbor ransomware criminals. They gave $5 million to get the Colonial Pipeline back. The administration did nothing. And now they're probably going to pay ransom again. The administration will do nothing. Can we possibly get ahead of this, look at the vital industries towards our national security, and make them hit a a certain uh, threshold of criteria like we do in every other walk of life? Everything from Advil to cars have a minimum standards. There's got to be minimum standards for cybersecurity. This dates back. We should have gotten a wake-up call from the cyber hack from North Korea on Sony. Remember. Here's Leon, and that was just personal embarrassment, letting emails go. This is personal security. Here's Leon Panetta. He's had every, every job uh, in Democratic administration, actually started as a Republican, including Secretary, CIA director and Secretary of Defense. Cut to. This is a national security issue. We have to approach it on that level. Do you think there's a connection to the Kremlin, ultimately? I don't think there's any question. Uh, you know, my own knowledge of uh, the Russian intelligence agencies— uh, they basically operate in every sector within their own countries uh, and clearly know what kind of criminal elements are involved. The Russians know what the hell's going on. They do. Please don't think for a second. If this rushing, uh, if this, these hackers located in Russia were truly hackers, they'd be hacking Russia. But instead, they're located in Russia, attacking Russia's enemies. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. If you think about the way China is pressuring us, Iran is pressuring us, and then Russia is pressuring us, what are we doing? Leaving Afghanistan, leaving the Arctic, no longer drilling there. We're leaving everywhere. And we have every time we're attacked, we back off. We left Israel, and we've, uh, we're equitable brokers there. Then we find out that with Iran, we dropped all pretense, trying to get back in a 2015 bad Iranian deal, leaving Saudi Arabia out to dry. And maybe Saudi Arabia is going to feel a little bit more secure if they go ahead and make an alliance with Russia. Why not? We left him out in the cold, or Joe Biden did. More for Leon Panetta, cut three. Imagine if at the same time they shut down a pipeline, they shut down our food supply, and they turned off the lights. What a nightmare that would be. 
No, exactly. And that that's exactly what our adversaries would love to see. I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, protecting ourselves from these countries, uh, looking at their military capabilities. Uh, we don't spend as much time trying to defend ourselves from these cyber capabilities. But make no mistake about it, these cyber attacks represent a military weapon that is being used by our adversaries to try and weaken the United States. And it is. And this is something we can unify, unite behind. But President Biden rather go over to, to Tulsa, mark a ugly day in our past. I'm not against that, but not emphasizing how much progress we've made and why he's optimistic about the future. Instead, he talks about white supremacy and that hate still exists. Terrible message. So meanwhile, let's talk about terrible message. Anthony Fauci, not taking a page from Governor Cuomo, but taking a page from Governor Cuomo. What he should have learned from Governor Cuomo is don't write a book about a pandemic, especially when you made so many public mistakes and have never admitted to it. Here's the title of Anthony Fauci's book coming out November 3rd. Same date as mine. Expect the Unexpected 10 Lessons on Truth, Service, and the Way Forward. Really, 80-page book, National... Geographic Books is putting it out. It's going to be tied to a documentary. It's said to cover Fauci's career as a public health official, including his tenure uh, at the NI, uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. I have no interest in hearing from him or learning from him and will never get close to buying a book from him. Think about this. In emails just disclosed, it reveals that he's been wrong on every major decision so far. Remember, he told John Casamitidis, owner of one of our great affiliates, WABC, this, this virus is not going to be a problem here. Number two, he told us the Wuhan lab was not an issue. And then uh, it, this came from an animal-to-animal transmission. It won't transmit that way. There's no uh, asymptomatic spread. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Then he told us, don't wear a mask. We end up having to wear a mask. That's wrong. And then, of course, his criticisms along the way, his criticisms of uh, in March of Texas for opening up their state and ended up fine. The constant criticism of Florida. We know the, the leaps and bounds that they've made while New York has been shut down, Illinois has been shut down, and their numbers just rocket up. Now these emails reveal that he was thanked by Peter Danzig on an email for not coming out about uh, not coming out in support of the Wuhan lab theory, which is more than likely where we are right now, which will prove to be a leak from the lab was the reason that this world is suffering in measure in immeasurable ways through death, destruction, economic uh, free falling in our case. So having said all that, emails prove that when he goes to reverse himself and said, I never discounted it. Yes, you did. The doctor, Peter Danzig, says you discounted it. When he says, don't wear a mask, I never said that. Well, I did it because I didn't think we had enough masks. You had a Chinese scientist write Anthony Fauci an apology email saying, in a Science Magazine article, I criticized you saying that Americans should be wearing a mask. I don't know why Americans are not masking up. That was in March. And you wrote him an email back, did this science scientist, to Anthony Fauci. I'm sorry, there's a story coming out. Uh, a journalist took me out of context. I would never criticize you directly. I'm paraphrasing it all because I don't want to go through the time. But I'm telling you right now, everything major decision he has made has been wrong. Something else is commonplace. Commonplace is that he was suppressed and repressed by the Trump administration. In an email, he was asked by this guy, Thomas Murray, 
and said, hey, are you being suppressed and squelched by the Trump administration? No, he said, no. I was on Fox this morning. I had three more appearances this afternoon. I am not being held back and repressed by the Trump administration. So there goes one of the criticisms that the Trump wasn't listening to the science. This guy could do almost any show he wanted. I'll talk about my third talking point after this, and that's the race obsession with President Biden, who at 78 years old suddenly feels as though our country is so racist uh, and has been racist and nothing ever got better. It just went under in terms of race in America. He decides, I want to make it worse. How soon till he comes out and says reparations? one 866 I'll take your calls next, uh, and we'll go over that when we come back. And then we'll talk to Dan Abrams at the bottom of the hour. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. As I said in my address at the joint session of Congress, according to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. That's not me. That's the intelligence community under both Trump and under my administration. Okay, I, I don't know what stat he's looking at, but why are you clapping for white supremacy? Why do you keep bringing this up? I, I tell you, as a, a member of the white community, I've never heard of it. As before Joe Biden became president, I never heard of it. Because it is a fringe group like the Democratic-led KKK, just because they cropped up in the South and in the 1920s, the Democrats were all part of that Tulsa group that burned Black Wall Street to the ground. That wasn't Republicans. It was Democrats. Lincoln was a Republican. They were all Democrats. Robert Byrd was Grand Wizard was a Democrat. He brings this up like it's not his party. The right now white supremacist group, I would love to see the stats that say they're the biggest problem in America right now. They're a fringe group, which somehow he is holding up as a trophy. Why is that? 
was a brutal part of our past 100 years ago. That would happen to, I like that we're pointing it out, but also to point out that that was 1920. Look where we are in 2020. I mean, in 1919, we just had women voting for one year. That's what the rest of the world was doing, too. Inaccurately, it's a cartoon-like review of what what uh, a cartoon-like review of what changed in America. Um, I, I I'm just stunned about how the president goes out of his way to say ridiculous things that get applause in a black audience, as if we don't think. Remember that in since 1970, he has been a senator. In Washington, chairman of foreign relations, he has been a a leader uh, for the Democrats making deals with Republicans, supposedly, the so-called moderate. He has never brought up all these racial issues. He was vice president to a black president, never brought this up. Now he's bringing up election laws, Jim Crow revisited 2.0. Every time someone brings something up, we're repressing uh, repressing uh, minorities in America, it's white supremacy, critical race theory. Forget it. Here is Joe Biden talking about what Republicans are doing, also about what the problem is in America. Cut. Uh, I want you to see what he says about what's happening today as opposed to in 1920. Cut 19. Hate that never goes away. Hate only hides. Jesse, I think I mentioned this to you. I thought after you guys pushed through with Dr. King, the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. I thought we moved. What I didn't realize, I thought we had made enormous progress. I was so proud to be a little part of it. Yeah. Yeah, let's just make yourself a little part of it. Uh, Here's what else he says, which is totally inaccurate and insulting, from my view. Cut 21. Just imagine, instead of denying millions of entrepreneurs the ability to access capital and, and, and contracting, made it possible to take their dreams to the marketplace to create jobs and invest in our communities. That, the data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers. They don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants. But they have great ideas. What, don't tell me someone put that in the prompter. Don't have lawyers. Don't have a, they have good ideas, but no lawyers and accountants. By the way, to get a business license, you don't need a lawyer. You just fill out a form. Number two, number two, uh, number one, number two. Believe me, there are black lawyers and there are black accountants and there are Hispanic lawyers and Hispanic accountants. Some are high priced. Some are working class. They have all walks of life. You have lawyers and accountants. What is he talking about? If I'm sitting in that audience, I'm saying, really, we don't have uh, we don't have accountants and lawyers. That's the only reason why I don't know Steve Jobs in the basement of college dropout came up with Apple because he had a lawyer and accountant. Cut twenty two. I've never been more optimistic about the future than I am today. And although I have no scientific basis, I'm about to say, but those of you who are over fifty. How often do you ever see advertisements on television with black and white couples? Not a joke. I challenge you, find today when you turn on the stations, sit on one station for two hours, and I don't know how many commercials you'll see, lay eight to five. Two to three out of five have mixed-race couples in them. That's not by accident. They're selling soap, man. Okay. What, what is he even talking about? 
I mean, so that's the only progress because people sell soap with black and white couples. I have more on this. I mean, to me, there was a total train wreck. If I'm, I'm sending him to Tulsa just to run down America and further divide America as if yesterday Black Wall Street burned down in Tulsa. When we come back to Dan Abrams, an important part of America's past. It needs some scrutiny. We'll also use some of his legal knowledge. Uh, he also is what ABC. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Being let out by uh, Captain Fritz. There is a person. There is Lee. been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. There's a man with a gun. Absolute panic. Absolute panic here in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters. Wow, that was the scene when Jack Ruby busted in for some reason, was able to get access different time, perhaps, to Lee Harvey Oswald, shot him right in the stomach. He would not survive. But a lot of people wonder, whatever happened to Jack Ruby? Well, he died in prison. Well, what about his trial? Uh, what what exactly was behind him? What kind of guy was he? That is all in Dan Abrams' brand new book. It's called Kennedy's Avenger, Assassination Conspiracy and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby. Dan Abrams, you know him on ABC, and also he's got a Mediaite website and just about everything else. He's got that Dan Abrams show, which is fantastic, on Sirius XM. Dan, welcome back. Brian, great to be back with you. Dan, this has to be, out of all the books you've written, this has to be the most intriguing. We know Lee Harvey Oswald. Very few people talk about Jack Ruby unless it's some type of conspiracy that he was sent in by the mob to kill Oswald to keep him quiet. Who was Jack Ruby? Jack Ruby was a sort of low-level club operator. And I say low-level, you know, he was mostly failed. He had a number of failed clubs. Um, and you know, his club, his main club in Dallas, the Carousel Club, was uh, you know what was called then a strip club, but right now would probably be pretty tame, uh, you know, uh, in terms of uh, standards. And he was a guy who loved to hang out with the cops. He was a guy who loved to shoot his mouth off. He loved to be relevant. He wanted people to talk about him. He liked to think he was a tough guy. He was the bouncer at his own club. Um, and so, you know, anytime anyone did anything, he'd, you know, use force. He wasn't even a, that big a guy. He was um, very into the fact that he was Jewish and wanted to prove that Jews can be tough guys. He grew up with uh, Barney Ross, who was probably, you know, the best known fighter at the time, also Jewish. And, uh, you know, grew up in that kind of world. And, and he ended up, uh, you know, having a place in history. And, I, and the amazing thing in sort of beginning the process on this book, because you know, as you know, we've written a number of other books about trials that have been forgotten related to presidents, is my co-author and I, David Fisher, were talking about the Kennedy assassination. And we kind of looked at each other. And we were like, well, whatever happened to Jack Ruby's trial? I mean, and we both were kind of amazed that we didn't know. And then when we dug in, it was unbelievable. I mean, you have celebrity lawyers and celebrity witnesses, and you got a jailbreak at the courthouse uh, during the event. I mean, it was just, it was mayhem. So 
it was just a fascinating trial, and that's what we kind of dug into with on Kennedy's Avenger. So as you get transcripts, as the transcripts come out, you start reading this. You said now you understand why the conspiracy theories really took root. What what popped up in some of the things that took place that put so many questions in people's mind about what motivated Ruby to kill Oswald? So there were questions that went unanswered was the biggest thing. So, for example, at one point, the defense, you know, just in an effort to sort of needle the prosecutor, say, we'd like you to stipulate that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Prosecutor Henry Wade says, we ain't stipulating to nothing. Oh, wait a second. Why, why isn't he stipulating to that? And then you've got the fact that um, an FBI agent was asked, did Oswald and Ruby know each other? And before he could answer, objection sustained. Another witness talks about a conversation where he could only hear Ruby talking about something on the day before he uh, shot Oswald, about how he'd be at the police station, et cetera. Um, and the question was, oh, was that part of a, you know, was that the conspirators giving him a call? It turns out it was a, we learned later, it was a, a radio reporter he was talking to. But the, the point is that there was just a lot of unanswered stuff back then that fueled a lot of the conspiracy theories. How did he die? End up in jail and dying of cancer? Yeah, died of cancer. And, you know, died two, two or three months after he'd won an appeal to get a new trial. And, and, and by the way, at Ruby's new trial, he probably would have just said, you know, look, I did it. I did it in the heat of the moment. Um, and it was a, basically what would now be considered manslaughter. He could have gotten two to five years, which at that point would have been time served. And Jack Ruby could have walked out of prison. But he died. So do you walk away? I remember talking to Gerald Posner, and he said, I went in there thinking to study the Kennedy assassination thing, and there's so many conspiracies. He wrote case closed. He said, the more I looked at this, the more I realized there's nothing to this. Uh, this uh, Lee Harvey Oswald act alone. Did anything from Dan Abrams, the lack of just, a, just the curious mind that you have, does it leave questions about the actual assassination himself and Ruby's role? No questions for me about Ruby's role. There are always questions about Oswald, right? right? I mean, look, in the sense that, you know, the guy lived in Russia. Um, you know, not many Americans moved to Russia back then. And he had tried to kill a, you know, a, a very right-wing former general. And then he shoots at Kennedy. And you can say, wait a sec. You're telling me the same guy who shoots at a, you know, a right-wing guy, shoots at a left-wing guy? At this, you know, so, 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 you know, there were questions. But, but. I will tell you from Jack Ruby, there are three reasons, in my view, that he could not have been part of a conspiracy. Number one, he kills Oswald on Sunday. Oswald's arrested on Friday, the day of the shooting. And that night, Ruby's at the police station, as he always is hanging out when there's some big action there. Oswald is brought right past him. If he was a hired assassin, you kill him the first time you get the opportunity. You don't say, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm at the police station. I'm going to wait and see if I, maybe I get another chance. Um, then two days later on the Sunday, they make the announcement that Oswald will be moved at 10 a.m. All the media is there. Everyone's ready for the big move from the police station to the jail. Um, Jack Ruby is just waking up, and he's heading over an hour later to send a, a wire for 25 bucks to a woman who works at his club. He gets a receipt at the Western Union at 11.17. So he hasn't been there for the first hour and 17 minutes. He then goes, the Western Union happens to be right on the block with the police station. 
He walks down the block to the police station, and he 30 seconds later, Oswald is brought out. It was total happenstance that he was there. And unless you believe that the police were also in on it, right? So, so the problem with all these conspiracies is that, that, that when you focus on some of the facts, you got to bring in a whole bunch of other people and say, well, wait a second. These people are part of a conspiracy to kill the president, and they're willing to go to, pres- to, to prison for life uh, for this, et cetera. So and the third reason is he didn't have a family. He didn't have kids. He was obsessed with one dog named Sheba. Um, it was like he referred to Sheba as his child. And he brought the dog with him to the Western Union, left her in the car. And if he had been planning on killing Oswald, anyone who knows Ruby will tell you he would have planned uh, for Sheba to be taken care of and not left out in the car. Did he ever give interviews from his jailhouse? Yeah, he talked to, look, he, not only did he do an interview with the Warren Commission, what people forget is he literally sat across from Earl Warren, the Supreme Court Chief Justice, who was leading the Warren Commission after he was convicted um, to answer questions about what had happened. And he, you know, insists again and again, I wasn't part of a conspiracy. And the amazing thing about it that people don't give him enough credit for is he kept saying, give me a lie detector. I want a lie detector. Please, please, I'm begging you. So finally, because he literally won't keep answering questions until Warren says, okay, okay, we'll get you a lie detector. And so he answers all the questions. And then in another interview, he does it in a lie detector test. And there was no indication that he was lying. Didn't know Oswald, wasn't involved in a conspiracy, says he did it to pr- protect Jackie from having to testify. He, he didn't like the smirk on Oswald's face. You know, when you think about the kind of guy, the kind of hothead that, that Ruby was, a sort of, you know, t- uh, wannabe tough guy, um, you know, it all kind of makes sense with his, with his personality. I, I guess so. As you, as you looked in this and you see what went on, did you say there were celebrities at the trial? You said celebrity attorneys? Celebrity attorney and celebrity witness. So, so celebrity attorney Melvin Belli, the attorney for Jack Ruby at the trial, was probably the best-known lawyer in America at the time. But he mostly did personal injury stuff. But he was this flamboyant lawyer, not from Dallas. And you can guess how the Dallas folk appreciated a guy from California coming in with his uh, fancy clothes and uh, <clears throat> expensive coats, etc., cetera, um, sort of mocking a little bit of the Dallas community. Didn't help uh, the defense. Barney Ross, uh, who I mentioned before, was, was not just one of the best-known boxers, probably one of the best-known people in America at the time. He testified for Jack Ruby um, in the trial, too. Um, and, and the craziest part, again, was this jailbreak that had nothing to do with the trial. But the, the world's media is at the courthouse, right? right? Four floors above the Jack Ruby trial. A group of guys create are being held in a jail at the courthouse. They create a fake gun out of soap. They take hostages and walk them literally right past the media. And we have all these great quotes of people, like reporters, calling in being like, there's a jailbreak here. And they'll be like, a what? Jailbreak? What, are you drunk? No, I'm serious. There's a jailbreak. It's like this happens during the Jack Ruby trial. Amazing. Hey, uh, uh, Dan, I think this is going to be your biggest one. I really do. I think it's fun. so oh, intriguing. You. It's an element. Jack Ruby has not talked about it unless they're trying to link him to a conspiracy. Not many people go over that trial. 
Um, so I think this is going to be uh, huge. I do want to ask you about what's going on. I know you were on uh, The View the other day, and you believe yeah. from what you've seen with your – obviously, you're an attorney. It's uh, uh, almost everything. Uh, you work for ABC most of the time, but you're everywhere. Uh, you really believe that uh, Trump's heading towards an indictment. What makes you think that? Just because they've been going at it so long? Was it the Michael Cohen nine visits up? They're so invested. What, what gives it away for you? So it's it's a combination of factors. It's the fact that they've hired this prosecutor, um, you know, well-known prosecutor to come in and oversee the investigation, um, left private practice just to deal with with this case. The amount of fighting that went over, you know, over the tax returns, right, on both sides, um, the effort that the D.A. made to get them, the effort that was made to to prevent them from being released. Um, yeah, Michael Cohn is a small piece of this. Um, I think if there's an indictment, Michael Cohn will not be a central part of the case because he's just not, you know, his credibility is shot. Um, so they're going to need other evidence, right? Um, and I think the fact that they impaneled this special grand jury now, I mean, because they've been using grand juries up to this point, but they haven't been sort of a special grand jury assigned to this case. And so that just, you know, taking Donald Trump out of it, right? If this were just any other case, I'd yeah. be telling you all signals are pointing towards an indictment. So I want you to hear what Don Jr. told Tucker last night. I think it's a political persecution. And I know that because she literally campaigned on it. She was going to investigate the crimes. The problem is it wasn't as though she was a part of this office. She had no idea. But... In New York, it's okay to try to persecute your political enemies, to try to target them, to try to hurt them. And they've been doing that for over five years. So five years, no actual crime. They're in search of a crime. They've been trying to investigate to create a crime because that's what you're doing in New York. Talking about uh, the AG and how it yeah, might relate I mean, to this. And, and you know, well, she did of, run on that. I will, you know, yeah. I'll run on this. And she had no, pre, she had no access to any intelligence or any uh, evidence. Right. She, she's not going to be the one indicting, though. I mean, in the end, it'll be the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And when Don refers to the five years, that's because Donald Trump was fighting releasing his tax returns for five years. So so, you know, it's not that they've been investigating and not being able to find any evidence. It's that, that this fight has been going on through the courts for the tax returns. And, and look, the same way you're right to say, you know, to say, well, you know, the attorney general's campaigning on this without yep. knowing the evidence. Don Jr. doesn't know the evidence um, that they have uh, or don't have. But, just so, what, so, but if he doesn't run for president, he doesn't get targeted. That's got to bother you on some level. That if he doesn't get for well, but but again, I'm not well, I'm not so sure that's true. I mean, that probably is true. Right. In the sense that it's sort of the Martha Stewart defense. Right. Which is if she hadn't been Martha Stewart. Back in the day, she never would have gotten prosecuted. Um, and I, I think that there's some there's probably some truth to that. But if Michael Cohn had come forward and reported Donald Trump, even as a private citizen, I think there would have been an investigation. No doubt about it. So so, yes, all of the circumstances that happened. But they right? don't rate it. But, but Dan, you got to be honest. They don't rate his house if he's not Donald Trump's attorney. They rated his office. No, no. But that's again. This is that's not true. That's not because he's Donald Trump's attorney that that one. I'm not going to agree with you on what, what I'm saying is I'm agreeing that the circumstances Donald Trump becomes president. Right. What happens to Michael Cohn, et cetera, that all of the, the dominoes falling the way they did is why 
this investigation has gone forward. So if he didn't run for president, if the stuff that with Michael Cohen hadn't happened, et cetera, it is true. Donald Trump might not have been charged. But Michael, they but only he, raid, but Dan, they only raid his office because he's Donald Trump's attorney and he's involved in something that they want to investigate. But it, it's, it's involved in something they want to investigate. Exactly. And which and is Trump. Again, it's, no, but it's also Michael Cohn. I mean, again, it, it, it's sort of like people want to have it both ways, right? They want to say Michael Cohn's a crook. Michael Cohn's an awful guy. Michael Cohn ought to have been prosecuted. And then the answer is, well, Michael Cohn never should have been investigated. It's like you can't have it both ways. I'm willing to be intellectually consistent and say, yeah, Michael Cohn should have been investigated. Michael Cohn is not a credible figure, right? I'm, I'm going there. But I'm also saying that, that accepting that, there is serious stuff to investigate with regard to Donald Trump. I don't know yeah. what they have. I think Again, it's a I'm bad, bad sign. Just, if they start investigating Bill Clinton or if they started going that, after Barack Obama, I'd be like, you no, got to be kidding well, me. Well, if, if Bill Clinton engages in bank fraud or tax fraud, they did. Look at the investigation. Oh, believe me, if they lo really looked into Bill look Clinton, he'd be in a lot of look, trouble. But, uh, Dan, unfortunately, I'm up, I'm up against the break. On another note, Kennedy's <laughs> Avengers... Uh, assassination Conspiracy and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby is now out. Dan, it's going to be a huge hit. Thanks so much. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to that city. What city is that? It looks familiar. That's Jacksonville, Florida. Wow, oh, Jacksonville, Florida. Familiar. That's one of your biggest radio... Yes, uh, WOKV, one of our great affiliates out there. And um, Do you have trouble remembering the call letters for each of your radio stations now uh, that you're so famous? Right. Good point. Uh, <laughs> a good point. And I noticed the sarcasm. Right. It's WOKV. It isn't, but she was right. I yeah. mean, she was on it. Like that's one of our best affiliates. Right, but the thing is, I don't remember Jacksonville, the city. Like I, I, I don't. I think of Jacksonville. I, I see the city, but the city to me is not reached its potential yet. But the outskirts is booming. Yeah. But I think that city could be huge. Right around where the stadium is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the city of Jacksonville could be huge. But right now, it is booming. It is so hard to even get a house there. I can I mean, only if imagine. Wanna, if you want to buy a house. No, and to defend your point, though, it sounds if you see a skyline, you're like, oh, that's Jacksonville skyline. I know. I felt bad about that. But I will say this. This this weekend, I'm on the beach in Point of Idra, that same area, Jacksonville, and guess who I see? Who? You know. Stavridis? And, no, admiral? that would have been oh, great. Okay. Uh, Tim Tebow. No way. Yes. Did you talk to him? Yeah, I walked over, said hello to him, and uh, it turns out I have a better build. I was going to say, do you ask to train with him so you no, can show him a few things? But I will say this. he's As you know, he's trying to have the Jaguars, mm -hmm. a tight end. He put on about 30 pounds. Wow. I mean, he's always a big guy for, as a quarterback and as a baseball player. I think he's ready. Nice. My prediction, he makes the team. What's yours? I will say he doesn't, just to, you know, be the conflicting argument. So you don't even mean what you say? Nope. That doesn't help the show. <laughs> From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're going to be joined by our Congressman Jason Smith. He's going to be uh, joining us shortly. And then at the bottom of the hour, uh, Jonathan Levine, about the links between this Nordstrom 2 pipeline and a big donor to Joe Biden. Why did he all of a sudden support Russia finishing off a pipeline that gives oil and gas to East to Western Europe and bypasses Ukraine? Why all of a sudden would he said would he do that? Well, guess who was in support of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? A major donor. We'll discuss that as well as uh, the Biden administration decision to stop drilling and exploring in the Arctic in and around Alaska, even though 98% of Alaskans want this drilling to take place. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's been debated for years. But once again, they stop it. If it's not the XL pipeline, if he's not supporting the Russia pipeline, if we're not being hacked on the East Coast pipeline, he's out trying to destroy drilling everywhere. There's also a big story in the Wall Street Journal. Now, the Biden administration is going out of their way to stop the building of homes that receive natural gas as their fuel. Do you believe this? No natural gas? Did you tell the chefs that? Do you know that it burns clean, but it's a fossil fuel, and therefore it doesn't fit the AOC agenda, which is the Biden agenda. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Hate that never goes away. Hate only hides. Hate's never defeated. And given a little bit of oxygen, it comes out of there from under the rock like it was happening again, as if it never went away. Yeah, Joe Biden speaking as clearly as ever. Race obsession continues. Biden and his administration focus on it all the time. The latest stop, Tulsa. It points out an ugly point in our past. Nothing wrong with that. Then he misses an opportunity to talk about how far we've come. He continues to racially divide us and think white supremacy is a problem within us. It is not. It's a small, small, small fracture of the challenges we have as a country. Look at Antifa and tell me that white supremacy is greater. I'll explain, but never justify. Number two. I think many in the country threw up in their mouth a little bit when they heard that Dr. Anthony Fauci will be releasing a book mm-hmm. on the pandemic, thereby profiting off the pandemic. You had Cuomo profiting off a pandemic, a government official. Now we have Fauci doing it as well. I think this is appalling. The audacity of Anthony Fauci. His early misinformation cost thousands of lives. His denial of the lab theory let China off the hook. And why not take a page from Governor Cuomo and write a book? Why I believe he will soon succumb to the same fate as Cuomo, and that's one of disgrace. Number one. Another Russian ransomware attack. JBS's shutdown yesterday impacted all nine beef plants, which counts for about a quarter of all U.S. beef. JBS's CEO said in a statement, quote, the vast majority of our beef, pork, poultry, and prepared foods plants will be operational Wednesday. How much ransom did they pay for that opportunity, right? Russia, again, another devastating cyber attack a week after the East Coast Colonial Pipeline was denied of oil and gas thanks to a Russian cyber group. Now another massive hack takes down portions of the North America uh, meat industry. I'm not kidding. Russia, true to its word, is saying they will send the U.S. unpleasant messages before the June 16th summit. Joe, punch them back or don't even try to go. I mean, this is the quote. This isn't my interpretation. Here's the quote uh, prior to the ransom where attack, and this from a Russian official, Sergei Rybakov, the Russian deputy foreign minister, warned Vladimir Putin's government would send unpleasant messages to the uh, to the U.S. if they did not discuss a range of issues, 
at their upcoming meeting. Really, quote, the Americans must assume that a number of signals from Moscow will be uncomfortable for them, including in the coming days. And boom, comes this ransom attack. Does this drive you crazy? Do you know that we are not an inferior power economically uh, in terms of modernized uh, military? We are ready to go on every level, and we could threaten them with a cyber attack of their own. Why not shelve their, uh, their meat industry? Why not stop their pipeline? Why not let them know what we're capable of in the cyber way we do? The CIA and FBI have to learn to anticipate some of these attacks. The private sector must reach a per certain criteria in order to have the type of control they have. The ability to make profits comes with responsibility. There's nothing wrong with a punch list of cybersecurity that has to be met for them to get the licenses and permits. That's all the Democrats do. They want all this paperwork before you do the smallest business. What about the biggest, biggest business? That affects national security. Fran Townsend, respected Bush official, who is a former Homeland Security advisor to Bush, cut six. President Biden has a meeting coming up with Vladimir Putin. He's going to have to raise this. Um, I think President Biden rightly in his most recent executive order is calling for a global coalition to hold those nation states who harbor these criminals accountable. That'll mean things like sanctions. Um, I agree with Secretary Panetta. These really become military weapons, but not every deployment by a nation state is an act of war. And so we need a national policy so we understand and consistently approach these problems with our foreign adversaries. Well, right now, there's too much focus on the 1920 Tulsa uh, Black Wall Street attack, which should be pointed out, but not emphasized. You ignore the border. You ignore the cyber attacks. You're focusing on infrastructure bill that is focused on human health care, human infrastructure like elder care, preschool. Those are issues. Your domestic side handles that. You, as a president, have to keep America and our business secure, which in turn are the American people. You shut off oil and gas. You double the price of gas. You negatively affected the American family, which has already been forced to go through weather all types of tribulations, thanks to China. Got it? China. Not us. China. Should be a unifying principle, but it's not. Next. Anthony Fauci, this guy amazes me, and not in a good way. They have made these in his emails through a Freedom of Information Act request, I believe from BuzzFeed. They made his emails public, at which time everything that you suspected he did wrong, he now has in black and white in his own words or his own fingertip to, uh, to screen, words that show how wrong he was. There are emails that reveal that he was being called out from a friendly Chinese scientist for not recommending Americans wear a mask. We see the email exchange. Don't tell us you were not for a mask and you were hiding the fact that we didn't have enough masks. That's why you were saying don't wear one. You knew we could make our own. You knew you could grab a T-shirt and do it. A bandana would have been effective if masks do indeed work like China was saying. But you ignored it. Next, you also said... To John Castamatidis, who owns one of our great affiliates, WABC, that this this virus will not be a problem here. Next, you say the Wuhan lab accidental theory, accidental spill theory, leak theory, was uh, really not possible. This is all proven in these emails because you got thanked by people like Peter Danzig, who work with the Wuhan lab, who said thank you for for putting down that theory that's been out. That was in an email exchange. And then 
you claimed you were squelched and shut down by the Trump administration from speaking out. But in an email, when questioned by somebody I don't know, you wrote back, I am not being suppressed, repressed. I, am, I just did Fox that morning, and I have three more appearances today. So if you're going to blame Trump, you got a little problem there because he was not keeping the great Anthony Fauci down. Here's Anthony Fauci talking about the virus and modifying virus to anticipate transmission to humans. Remember this, back in uh, Anthony Fauci in 2012, cut seven. For decades, NIH has supported basic influenza research included on transmissibility, host adaptation, and virulence. The goal is to anticipate what the virus is continually trying to do on its own in the wild and to prepare for it. Such goals were pursued by the NIH-funded scientists Kawaioka and Fouché and could have important positive implications for pandemic influenza prediction, prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. So he was for testing out different viruses in order to combat them. That is dangerous, we were told, something he never did. On January 26, he said this, remember, cut eight. What can you tell the American people uh, about what's going on? Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about or be frightened about because we have ways of preparing, of screening, of people coming in, and we have ways of responding like we did with this one case in Seattle, Washington, who had traveled to China and brought back the infection. So you understand? Don't worry about it in February. We do this dangerous research back in 2012, but it's not from the Wuhan leak, right? Not from the laboratory that Senator Tom Cotton brought forward right away, and they said it was a fringe theory that was unverified and without basis. Man, were they wrong, correct? Very wrong. So we find out that he's been wrong every step of the way, and now he made a really bad decision by signing a book deal with National Geographic Books tied to a documentary called Expect the Unexpected, 10 Lessons in Truth, Service, and the Way Forward. 80 pages. I mean, I can't imagine an 80-page book being out there. But look for it to be a bestseller. My book comes out the same day. If there's any justice in the world, and there should be, uh, I believe I will far, far outstrip him. The difference between him and Cuomo writing a book, both ill-advised, Cuomo was disgraced after his book came out. He'll be disgraced, Anthony Fauci, before. So here's what Senator John Kennedy, also running for re-election in a year, said. Cut nine. A year ago this month, in May of 2020, uh, my friend Dr. Fauci gave a number of interviews, and in them he dismissed the lab leak theory. Now, I want to be fair to him. I know the press was all over him, and he did it under pressure from the press. But Dr. Fauci should have told the press to stick it up their fact-checker that I'm going to follow the science, and he didn't. And we've lost a year here. And, and I don't know if we'll ever find the origin of the virus now. It's not a question, Sean, of keeping score or who was right or nah, 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 you were wrong. We need to know this so that we can keep it from happening again. Yes. 
And when it came to the lab leak, here's the specifics. Science Magazine quoted a top Chinese health official saying the U.S. and other Western nations are making a big mistake by not telling the people to mask up. Science Magazine stands by its reporting. But the official, Chinese official's name is George Gao, he worried that the comment might upset Anthony Fauci. So he wrote Anthony Fauci an email, and it said, quote, I saw the science interview. How could I say such a word, big mistake about others? That was journalist wording. Hope you understand. Gao is the director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention, running to Fauci. Fauci's response, let's work together to get the virus out of the earth. Tell me who looks worse. Very few people outside Governor Cuomo. one 408 I'll take your calls. Also, Congressman Jason Smith next. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. June should be a month of action on Capitol Hill. I hear all the folks on TV saying, why doesn't Biden get this done? Well, because Biden only has a majority of effectively four votes in the House and a tie in the Senate with two members of the Senate who vote more with my Republican friends. Wow. Calling out a couple of moderates joining us now. Uh, Congressman Jason Smith. Congressman, we are with the House Budget Committee. Man, are you getting a big budget from the White House? It's definitely uh, the largest budget in the history of the United States. Not only is it the largest, Brian, it's the latest ever received to Congress in the history of our country. I mean, in my opinion, this budget uh, is an extreme show of disrespect for working class families and farmers and small businesses because you look at – over the next 10 years, he wants to spend $69 trillion, $69 trillion. But also, so that's the largest expansion of government in the history of the United States. But then he's also proposing to implement $55 trillion worth of taxes, which is the absolute largest we've ever seen in the history of the United States. So as you can see, there's a theme. There's, <laughs> there's the largest of everything, and it's the latest of everything, and it's about the worst of everything. Six trillion dollars in total has a lot of infrastructure spending. So wait, he wants he's trying to jam infrastructure down our throats, human infrastructure. And then he wants more infrastructure. You know, in this proposal, he is still sticking with his two point three trillion dollar infrastructure package within this budget proposal. And as as you probably are well aware, that two point three trillion dollar proposal that he he sent out less than six percent was actually going towards roads and bridges, less than 2% towards locks and dams and airports. So you're talking about less than 8% of the total $2.3 trillion was going towards real infrastructure. And, and, you know, people throw around the numbers, trillions, billions, and sometimes it's, it's difficult to comprehend. Yeah. But think about this. You can build the national interstate highway system four complete times in today's dollars. For $2.3 trillion. That tells you how massive it is. So when you talk about this climate change stuff, we're not ready for it. The market doesn't want it. I'm all for being responsible. But what is he jamming down our throats with climate change? I also hear the Wall Street Journal story. He's trying to get rid of natural gas in people's homes. 
the majority of that infrastructure package is trying to implement their Green New Deal policies. You're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars to force down more regulations on families, small business owners, and farmers that's only going to drive the cost up of everything else. And when you're looking at this uncontrollable spending that's going on, which is causing inflation to skyrocket, we had last month the highest inflation we've had in 13 years. So basically, anytime someone goes to the store to put food on their table or clothes on their back or gas in their car – they're seeing an increase, which is a tax on everyone. And it's because of this reckless, wasteful spending that they're using to to fund their political friends, allies, and donors. So this is going to, you know, it's, it's the traditional way of going into committee, coming out of committee, Mark Devin going through. It's not really going to happen. What is the reality of it as a minority, Congressman Smith, in the House? Well, as President Biden has stated, he only has a four-seat majority in the House of Representatives, which is one of the most razor-thin in recent history. And it's a 50-50 Senate with Vice President uh, casting the tie-breaking vote. We had two Democrats vote with us against his last outrageous budget package. And so right now the Democrats are fighting over this budget proposal because they think Biden proposed too much money for our national defense, for our men and women in uniform. In fact, he only did a 1.6 percent increase, but he's switching around a lot of money behind the door for climate resiliency programs. So actually, our men and women in uniform are seeing some of the lowest levels of funding that they have in years and so this is what the Democrats are fighting over. It's because the, the, the AOCs and the left of the world, they want to defund the Pentagon and reduce it more and give more towards, you know, special uh, domestic program spending. Yeah, I mean, remember she was on uh, one of the late night shows saying we have enough missiles. And the Pentagon keeps saying, why do we need so much? The Pentagon has never said that ever. But that's who he's listening to. That's who he gave his seat at the table. And they're not leaving. And we're all paying the price. Well, it, Congressman, I could hear your disappointment uh, in this. It's unbelievable. I don't know how we're going to – we have to come together to survive the next year because it's just going to be brutal. Brian, we got we to gotta, we gotta tick off a couple Democrats that believe in protecting the sacredity of our country and our national defense. Go, got it. Go get them, Congressman. Go do just that. Congressman Jason Smith of Missouri. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... This I is really a, don't know okay. the answer is. That's you don't know yes answer. or no if the laptop I don't have was any yours. idea. I have no idea. So it could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. Um, I mean, what is with this guy? And how does he keep getting passes? Uh, that is Hunter Biden. His life's a mess. But yet he was doing multi-million dollar international deals using his trading on his family's name. Bad enough. Denying it along the way. Yes. Caught on tape many times. And now with emails. And now linked to his dad, who's meeting with his business partners of other countries when he was a sitting vice president. John Levine is here. He wrote a story uh, over the weekend uh, that talked about 
why Russia, Nord Stream 2, was able to complete the Nord Stream 2 pipeline through Western Europe, even though Donald Trump put a stop to it and lobbied our allies not to complete it. He said, well, I really had no choice. It was 95 percent done. Did he indeed have a choice? John Levine uh, has uncovered quite a lot about this and wrote about uh, this week. John, welcome back. It's good to be back again, Brian. How are you? Good. So, John, what did you discover about the stunning news that Russia suddenly can complete their pipeline through Western Europe that bypasses the Ukraine, which is thoroughly in their interest and not in America's interest? Well, what's funny is there's this very interesting kind of screwball lobbyist named Richard Burt. He's a former ambassador to Germany when Ronald Reagan was president. He's been around for a very, very long time, and he's a very well-known Russian lobbyist or lobbyist for Russian interests. And, you know, former President Trump got in a lot of trouble for associating with this guy in, you know, October of 2016, early in his presidency. I think he helped write a bit of Trump foreign policy stuff. And there were cries and outrage at the time that this was evidence of some untoward collusion with Russia. Now, fast forward, uh, and we see... $4,000 in donations to the Biden campaign from this same Richard Burt in, in some of them just months before, months ago, not even a year ago, October, just before he was elected. And you also see, you know, another 10000 to a Democrat-aligned uh, political action committee. And you also see $2,800 to Adam Schiff just before he becomes head of the Intelligence Committee, which is just an aside that I thought was interesting as well. That is nuts. And, you know, what's interesting – yeah, and what's interesting – and he was like King Russia, but, you know, as obviously your listeners will remember. But now he's taking the Russian lobbyist money. So then anyway, you fast forward to today, and you see the Nord Stream news. And, I'm, you know, it's just – it's one of those things that it, it clearly increases Russia's strength on the continent. It will it, – it undermines, you know, broad European security. This is, this is not, this is agreed upon by everybody. U.S. intelligence agencies have said that this company, the Nord Stream Two, is is uh, engaging in sanctionable activity. President Trump, indeed, did put sanctions on them, um, and was opposed to this pipeline. President Biden is, you know, saying, well, you know, it's, it is sanctionable, but there's broader interests at work, so we're just gonna, we're just gonna let this one go. And you know, it's just given these kind of donations, it's. It's curious. So he gave the money back? And the money was returned. Yes, the Democratic National Committee spokesperson told me that um, the, 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 the cash I asked them about with respect to what Biden took in was returned after I asked about it. So you also talk about some dicey things that you've already discovered, too. Biden also hired uh, Rosemont Seneca, just showing how impervious he feels he is towards legitimate scrutiny. Uh, the Rosemont Seneca employee to his private VP office staff. And he continues to deny any type of knowledge about what Hunter Biden was up to. Right. Now, that was that was a very fascinating link, which was discovered in the hard drive, where Rosemont Seneca, this, this investment fund firm that Hunter Biden ran with John Kerry's stepson, and Hunter Biden, when he would travel abroad to China and he'd meet with all of these shady you know, Chinese business leaders, he represented himself as from Rosemont Seneca Partners. And... When he hired, when he bought office space in D.C., and he said, you know, he said he he said one, he called one of these Chinese, his Chinese business partners, you know, he he got them all uh, keys to the office room, and they were representing Rosemont Seneca Partners at the time as well. So now what we discover is that a, uh, a woman who was a you know receptionist assistant at the company for several years, she leaves, and then a few months later goes to work as an assistant for Vice President Biden, and. 
in the emails. You can see from another assistant saying, well, we're welcoming her on. She did such a good job at Rosemont Seneca. I know you'll, 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 she'll do a great job with the vice president. That was in 2014. And, you know, she went on to marry a former Rosemont Seneca executive who, who then moved on to another job at USAID. And, you know, Rosemont Seneca had clients who worked with USAID, so that was all very good, too. So it's all just very soupy is what the sense you should get from it. Right. And you also talked about, too, uh, some weird meetings he had with then uh, accidental governor Dave Patterson, who took well, right. over. Exactly. Yeah. They were very interested in 2010, sort of in the last few months of David Patterson's term, with meeting him. And there were at least two confirmed meetings. There was a dinner held somewhere in Midtown. Again, I, I don't actually know the location because I, I couldn't quite piece it to, You can't figure it out from the hardware, but you know there was a dinner in Midtown with Patterson, and there was a, there's a, there's a former Pennsylvania state treasurer that later went to jail. He's there. Um, and then various sort of business leaders, union types. And they just they, – they, it's, it's people that wanted to meet David Patterson. And Patterson was there. We don't totally know what was spoken about. He himself doesn't even remember you know, having this dinner, but it certainly happened. And I, you know, I called someone who was at the dinner that confirmed it. And then shortly after he left office, there was um, a second meeting um, at the home, at the, at the offices of one of Patterson's former assistants named Alexandra Stanton. Um, and again, we don't totally know what was discussed. Memories are kind of hazy, but there was a keen interest in meeting Patterson. I know that when Patterson was governor, they, Hunter and Rosemont Seneca appear to have had a client, which was a Spanish energy company called Iberdrola, and they had some interest in, in, in wind farms and wind, wind power in New York, and they were doing something with Patterson. But again, it's a lot of smoke, unfortunately. There's a lot that's still unclear. Has Have you, and I know the elite editorial uh, a couple of days ago, it might have been yesterday, they were kind of blending together, talked about where's the, where's the interest in people understanding that pre- Vice President Biden, now president, was meeting with these Kazakhstan officials, these Ukrainian Burisma executive. There's pictures and references in emails of him being there when he flat out lied and said, I have no knowledge of my son's business, international business activities. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's, what I'll say is we have, we have the, the current president on the record saying, you know, I've never met – I've never, I, you know, there was a wall between me and Hunter. He did his thing. I did my thing. But what the hard drive shows and what sort of the, the trickle of, of information is increasingly showing that there was a lot of crossover. And especially in the hard drive and the emails, you'll see Hunter say things like, well, you know, let's, let's keep my dad's involvement between us. Don't tell anyone he was there. Because they, they, there was there – was, he certainly didn't want that kind of information being brought to light, but it is coming to light because, you know, there's the hard drive is a very rich trove of information. And I don't actually think we've totally even scratched the surface of what might be on there. So a couple of things. The last one is that when, when you guys write the story and publish the emails at the New York Post of Hunter Biden and in turn, you get frozen by Facebook and Twitter and all social media. They take down your Twitter account. Was there pressure from editors to, hey, guys, we got to back off a little bit? What was the message sent around the newsroom? Uh, no, there, no, we, we don't back off anything. No, that, I mean, you don't you, – you, you chase the news where it goes. And, you know, if social media is obviously going to do their thing. But we, I think 
our record shows quite clearly that we, you know, we when we, when we when they when they censored us, we act, you know, we put it on the front page. We're being censored. We, you know, we leaned into it and we we kept going. And then, because you know, it's our mission is to get the truth out to the people, and that's what we're going to do. And that's what we did with the hard drive, and and you know, that's what we're still doing with the hard drive. And I think social media did what they did, and you know, as you obviously know, they reversed course. And it, it, but you know, a lot of people weren't able to see a lot of the work initially, as you know, because of the censorship and of the these companies that acted to, you know, prevent their users from seeing this information before the election, which yep. obviously raises questions of its own. It does, John Levine. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. We'll continue to follow your columns, and you'll stay on top of this. Another reason to subscribe to The Post. Nobody else has the guts to do this stuff uh, except us and, of course, The Post and, we'll, and The Wall Street Journal. Uh, thanks, John. Thank you. All right, 1-866-408-7669. We'll come back. Uh, we're also going to talk about what's going on with race yesterday. Uh, I'm going to give you a little example of why I believe Democrats getting panicked, and here's why. The the way they lose elections in the future, especially the White House, is if the black vote starts going back to Republicans. And what what Donald Trump was able to do, not because of a slick campaign or a a catchphrase, and not because he spends a lot of time in black communities, because he doesn't. Not because he builds towers in black communities, because he didn't. But... The policies that Trump put, put ahead over the last four years have benefited black communities and minority communities more than anyone else. And he thought that was going to be a resonance of what he was doing, getting rid of regulation, providing businesses to expand. In turn, they, they raise wages and hire more people. That's what was happening prior to the pandemic. Yeah, we were running a deficit. That wasn't good. But for the black community, they saw a greater opportunity. And as we come back, I want to talk about race in America and why Joe Biden suddenly at 78 years old is obsessed with it. And Barack Obama, when he sat down on Ezra Klein show for the New York Times uh, a podcast, had this to say, basically an insult to black and Hispanics who basically didn't realize uh, they were doing better, but they didn't really realize that it wasn't Donald Trump that deserved the credit. Cut 26. If you're the average voter, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, looks like Republican policies are working for me to some degree, which probably explains why. Trump was able to make some inroads, modest, overstated, but real inroads among non-white voters, feeling like, you know what, I'm, I'm working and making decent money and things feel pretty good. Yeah. What is wrong with working, making decent money and feeling things feel pretty good? And when nobody is anything against you, and if there are some robots in society for women, men, whatever it is, whoever you are, overcome it. That should be the attitude for leaders. Barack Obama was backing up the Trump administration as reluctantly as he was, as inadvertently as he turned out to be, because he hates President Trump and the feelings mutual. Things were better under him than you, President Obama, and under Joe Biden. That's why you get—he actually earned the votes. He didn't try to pander for the votes. That's what people find hard to believe, that you can actually uh, allow people to see the results and change rather than get in their face and beg them. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I know that Joe Biden is a good, decent man. He wanted to recover the soul of this nation, and he looks at things in a sort of optimistic way. But please do not tell us, in the face of an insurrection, in the face of what we see in Texas, in the face of rising white nationalism in this country, please don't tell me that a Geico commercial with an interracial couple means that we're turning the corner, because it doesn't. And it diminishes what's actually happening in this country. So, look, I, I know he was well-meaning and I know this was intentional, uh, but I was left wanting after the speech and, and really quite frustrated about how serious this administration is taking the challenges that our country, and in particular black people, are facing going forward. Uh, they just make it a, such a huge deal over race in America when they act as if that this is 1860 or even 1960 and not 2021. But Jason Johnson, uh, MSNBC political contributor, obviously just vilifying America for an hour speech wasn't enough for him. He was upset at this statement by Joe Biden. Listen to him when he gets off script. It is just a train wreck. Cut 22. I've never been more optimistic about the future than I am today. And although I have no scientific basis for about to say, but those of you who are over 50, how often do you ever see advertisements on television with black and white couples? Not a joke. I challenge you, find today when you turn on the stations, sit on one station for two hours, and I don't know how many commercials you'll see, lay eight to five. Two to three out of five have mixed-race couples in them. That's not by accident. They're selling soap, man. So listen, I hate the analogy for a different reason. Who the, you know, obviously no one told him to say that. That's not in the prompter. Uh, interracial couples on television, absolutely. But it, I've I've always thought they always were. Um, number two is like it's about selling products, and that is an indication. But for that to come up uh, in the 1920s massacre of Black Wall Street is bizarre. Jason Johnson goes on. You want to know where his mindset is? Cut 35. What I wanted to hear, if you show up to a place that was the location of a massacre that took place in this country 100 years ago, I'm sorry, and this may sound really reductionist, but cut a check. Cut a check. The survivors of Tulsa, their families are still there, and they've gotten nothing for it. Even the state won't give them any money. So the the idea that the president's going to come there and talk about the terrible things that happened and then hop on a plane and no one is necessarily better off is a problem. And I want to be really clear about this for everybody to understand. Yes, it is great that Joe Biden said that this was a massacre and this is terrible, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't need programs for disadvantaged people. We don't need programs for excluded people. This was a black attack. White people went and massacred black people. And it happened all around the country during that time. And we need to be able to speak about that specifically. Yeah, we evolved from that. But we're going to go writing checks for everybody. And then that you know what they're doing in, in California? Governor Newsom, by the way, California is always a free state. Governor Newsom is studying re- reparations. Re- go study. He's going to take more of the huge tax basin and give it to people whose ancestors may or may not have lived 220 years ago. Is this how you bring the country together? Is this a conversation you want to have? 
Uh, I, I think that you go out, you point out, and you talk about the progress being made and opportunities that were lost, and this should have been brought up sooner. But I love where we are as a country, and the thing about education is something that we should uh, move forward on, and school choice is something that should be pursued. Trey Gowdy, I thought, put it best, as usual, cut 30. Yes, there was pain. Yes, there's been progress. Most of all, there is the promise of this country. But we're going to have to decide whether we reach racial fairness by doing what Dr. King said, which is judging people based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin, or government putting its finger on the scale and deciding we're going to make amends uh, by doing thus. Uh, And I like Dr. King's way. Judge people in a colorblind society based on the content of their character. That's the promise. Uh, I think, of America. And the New York Times spent all of yesterday or the day before they're talking about how critical race theory is the new culture issue for Republicans. No. This issue found Republicans. The Republicans didn't find the issue. This was right in the face of average Americans who were looking over their shoulder at their kids who were studying at home and saying, apologize for being white. Talk about your privilege. I don't think so. Uh, talk about uh, Cross-transgender for, for first graders? What does that cartoon say about your gay uncle? Uh, things are going, wait a second. That's not what I want my kids in preschool, kindergarten, and third grade looking at. And people are standing up. If there's anything that good that came out of the pandemic, kids, parents are zoomed, zoned in more than ever, pun intended, to what their kids are studying. And a lot of it will make you sick. And a lot of it has forced a lot of parents onto school boards. Or standing up and speaking out. Or both. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com or to the podcast. And briankilmeade.com. Get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now at our paperback. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York. The report, thankfully, zero deaths yesterday for the first time ever. And the infection rate so low, I would say we're back to normal. Hasn't stopped our idiot governor for saying we're going to leave the mask mandate intact for schools. Are you kidding me? Sandra Smith at the bottom of the hour, co-anchor of American Reports, which I'll be on. I'll be a guest on at one point in the one o'clock hour today. She hosts from one to three. She'll stop here first. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hate that never goes away. Hate only hides. Hate's never defeated. And given a little bit of oxygen, it comes out of there from under the rock like it was happening again, as if it never went away. Race obsession continues for President Biden and his administration. The latest stop, Tulsa, points out an ugly point in our past. I get it. But he never misses an opportunity to racially divide us. I'll explain, but we'll never justify. Number two. I think many in the country threw up in their mouth a little bit when they heard that Dr. Anthony Fauci will be releasing a book mm-hmm. on the pandemic, thereby profiting off the pandemic. You had Cuomo profiting off the pandemic, a government official. Now we have Fauci doing it as well. I think this is appalling. 
The audacity of Anthony Fauci. His early misinformation cost thousands of lives. His denial of the lab theory has let China off the hook. So why not take a page from Governor Cuomo and write a book that nobody wants? Why, I believe he will soon succumb to the same fate as Cuomo, one of disgrace. Number one. Another Russian ransomware attack. JBS's shutdown yesterday impacted all nine beef plants, which counts for about a quarter of all U.S. beef. JBS's CEO said in a statement, quote, the vast majority of our beef, pork, poultry, and prepared foods plants will be operational Wednesday. Here we go. Russia again. Another devastating cyber attack weeks after the East Coast was denied of oil and gas thanks to a Russian cyber group. Now another massive hack takes uh, down portions of North America's meat industry. Russia, true to its word, is saying they will send the U.S. unpleasant messages for the June, before the June 16th summit. I just got that one. Punch them back, Joe, or don't even consider going. That's what I would do. This is unbelievable. What's going to be next? I just had a doctor write me and say, why don't you see that they're going to hack next? Pharmaceuticals. Maybe wipe out medical records. Maybe it's going to affect you. Is that going to be okay? Maybe you're not in the meat industry. Don't worry about it. Maybe you can afford to obtain double for gas. So what doesn't affect you if these, in, these uh, companies pay ransom? It's going to affect prices. Absolutely. $5 million. You shut us down for a week. The guy gets $5 million. And guess what? If it comes from Russia, Vladimir Putin knows about it. And know what will happen June 16th? Joe Biden will go over and meet with Vladimir Putin and say he told him we got to get together with human rights. Do you know they bounce back at us? Lavrov, their foreign minister, said, we're upset by the way we've treated the rioters on January 6th. He doesn't like the conditions they're kept in. That is a total disrespect that Russia has shown towards us. They are not afraid. Everything they do, they get away with. They arrested another Russian dissident. They pulled him off a plane yesterday. You think they're worried about us condemning them on human rights or anybody in Western Europe? Forget it. Corrine Jean-Marie, the White House Principal Deputy Secretary. Cut one. JBS notified the administration that the ransom demand came from a criminal organization likely based in Russia. The White House is engaging directly with the Russian government on this matter and delivering the message that responsible states do not harbor ransomware criminals. Yeah, uh, we hope not. Uh, but they are. We call flat-footed again. 20% of U.S. beef capacity crippled by a simple hack. I guarantee you they're writing a check now to pay the ransom. Maybe they can afford it, but what a precedent. It's only going to continue. What industry will be hit next? We have to get off our back foot, get on our front foot, and start hitting them back. What could stop the Russian beef industry? Maybe a renegade group in America will might be unleashed on Russia, much to our chagrin. What would stop the oil and gas in Russia? Maybe a renegade group inside America will go after that industry, much to our chagrin. But JBS has hurt uh, by them being brought down from this hack and not leaving themselves secure. Canada and Australia along the way. Specific states, two plants in Nebraska, one in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Utah, Texas, and Arizona. Not only are they having trouble getting workers, trouble getting truckers to deliver, now they're having trouble even doing anything. This has to stop. Leon Panetta weighed in. Cut to. This is a national security issue. We have to approach it on that level. Do you think there's a connection to the Kremlin, ultimately? I don't think there's any question. Uh, you know, my own knowledge of uh, the Russian intelligence agencies, uh, they basically operate in every sector within their own countries uh, and clearly know 
what kind of criminal elements are involved. The Russians know what the hell's going on. God, I don't see any question. Please don't tell me you don't know. Cut three. Imagine if at the same time they shut down a pipeline, they shut down our food supply, and they turned off the lights. What a nightmare that would be. No, exactly. And that, that's exactly what our adversaries would love to see. I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, protecting ourselves from these countries, uh, looking at their military capabilities. Uh, we don't spend as much time trying to defend ourselves from these cyber capabilities. But make no mistake about it, these cyber attacks represent a military weapon that is being used by our adversaries to try and weaken the United States. No question. So what do we do about it? We have to hit them hard before June 16th. And we got to either hit them hard or show them we are about to hit them hard and what we're capable of. That's the only thing that Vladimir Putin understands. Uh, He does not like weakness. And if he sees weakness, he takes that as opportunity, not kindness. He's not a kind guy. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. The next thing I want to talk about is Anthony Fauci. Word came out he's coming out with a book, Expect the Unexpected, 10 Lessons on Truth, Service, and the Way Forward. Why does he get a book deal? He says he's not going to make any profits off it. He doesn't talk about the signing bonus, which is probably in the millions. But I don't know. The National Geographic books tied up his upcoming documentary with the book. They're going to be releasing at the same time. Uh, His emails have already revealed what the book could be about. How about the truth? Through a freedom of information request, we now know that Anthony Fauci was corresponding with a Chinese health official early in the pandemic, acknowledging that crazy people are in this world, vowing to get through it together. Nice. The nation's top infectious disease received an email March 28th from George Gao, director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control. He says, in it, Gao apologized for saying that the U.S. and other countries were making a big mistake by not encouraging people to wear masks from the get-go. Wait, we were supposed to be wearing masks from the get-go. Anthony Fauci told us not to. He says the Chinese said they shouldn't. It wasn't spread through aerosol. And now we have proof that in June, Science Magazine, this George Gower told him to wear a mask. Americans should be wearing a mask. And apologize for criticizing him in a public newspaper. But not for what he said. Does that bother you? I would hope it bothers you. Here's uh, John Kennedy about the origins of the virus, which we now know Anthony Fauci was suspicious about, but he came out firmly that the Wuhan leak was not a lab leak that caused this virus. How do we know that he did that and it resonated? Because we have an email, April 18, 2020, from the infamous Peter Daszak, quote, I just want to say a personal thank you on behalf of our staff and collaborators for publicly standing up and stating that the scientific evidence supports a natural origin for COVID-19 from bat to human, not a lab release from the Wuhan Institute. From my perspective, your comments are brave and coming from your trusted voice will help dispel the myths that have been spun about the virgin, uh, this virus's origins. So there you go. Working to help China not be blamed. Not wearing a mask probably caused that to hunt tens of thousands of people to lose their lives, according to the math, according to the science. Senator John Kennedy, cut nine. A year ago this month, in May of 2020, uh, my friend Dr. Fauci gave a number of interviews, and in them he dismissed the lab leak theory. 
Now, I want to be fair to him. I know the press was all over him, and he did it under pressure from the press. But Dr. Fauci should have told the press to stick it up their fact checker that I'm going to follow the science, and he didn't. And we've lost a year here. And, and I don't know if we'll ever find the origin of the virus now. It's not a question, Sean, of keeping score or who was right or nah, 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 you were wrong. We need to know this so that we can keep it from happening again. You would think so, and we've been saying that from day one, but it's not. Lastly, on the other big story, race obsession continues with this administration. We weren't even talking about the Memorial Day. He's taking vacation again, but he came back just to commemorate 100 years since the Black, since, uh, the Black Wall Street uh, was killed. And this was a brutal thing. I, it looks as though it's totally race-oriented. But it happened in 1920, not 2020, certainly not 2021. But the whole thing, you would think that Joe Biden goes out of his way to point out discrepancies. And by the way, we're also seeing a special from LeBron James on CNN. All negative stories about race in America. And there were a lot. But talk about how things are getting better. You're the leader of America in 2021, not 1821, not 1921. Talk about how far we have come and what would have happened if that happened today. But no, Joe Biden wants to divide. He brings up the voting and the rules to, to button things up. Things like, for example, not having endless months of early voting. Why campaign? Why have a finish? Why have a close if you've already voted? Number two, drive-through voting. You're happy with that? If you're going to have a mail-in voting, we need some way to verify you are who you say you are. Drop boxes, we're going to limit them. In Texas, they're going to do some non-pandemic changes going back. So the whole legislature left. In Georgia, you heard what Joe Biden said. It's uh, Jim Crow revisited. So the All-Star Game leaves, and he applauds them. And he says it's happening across the country. Now we put Vice President Kamala Harris in charge of fixing voting rights in America. That's a guarantee not to get anything done. She does nothing. She got an assignment on the border. She's afraid of being blamed. She doesn't show up. And now she has a scheduled Sunday-Monday visit with, um, I think it is Guatemala, no, Honduras, and Mexico. That'll solve the problem. Write big checks to those countries and tell them to put it to social programs. That usually works. Cut 16. In 2020, we faced a tireless assault on the right to vote. Restrictive laws, lawsuits, threats to, of intimidation, voter purges, and more. We resolved to overcome it all, and we did. More Americans voted in the last election than any, in the midst of a pandemic, than any election in American history. You got voters registered. You got voters to the polls. The rule of law held. Democracy prevailed. We overcame. But today, let me be unequivocal. I've been engaged in this work my whole career, and we're going to be ramping up our efforts to overcome again. Yeah, we'll see. Overcome what? We're trying to rein in laws. Seventy-one percent of the country think you should have ID when you vote. Why? Because they want their vote to count, too. They don't want illegals voting. Especially if you're going to go out and try to make all these illegal immigrants here legal. People want their vote to count. So that's where it's no problem. Don't tell me you don't drive. There's so many non-government, there's non-driving ways to register and get your picture there and have it verified. You can't exist in this country, get a credit card in this country, get a rent-a-car in this country, get an apartment in this country. If you don't have some type of license and identification, you know that. And to say that 
Minorities don't have that is an insult to minorities, wouldn't you think? Not according to Joe Biden. We are full of white supremacists, and he's going to end it. No African-American can get a job, and he's going to change it. Vivek Ramaswamy was with, uh, was with the channel yesterday. He's a biotech entrepreneur, and he talked about diversity, and I believe he's of Indian descent. And he talked about diversity in the business place, in the workplace, in school. Cut 31. In the name of diversity, we have completely sacrificed any diversity of thought on these political questions. In the name of inclusion, we've actually created this new exclusionary culture where certain points of view are just not welcome. And I think that that's what we ought to recognize about the new terms of progressivism is this new form of Orwellian doublespeak where every word is chosen to mean the exact opposite of what it means. I'd even say the same about the Black Lives Matter movement. In the name of black lives has actually sacrificed black lives in the name of diversity. Yeah, we come back on this whole move, political move for Joe Biden. From Karl Rove, you'll hear from him and Victor Davis Hanson. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Sandra Smith. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When you call for a moratorium on charter schools, that is a direct attack on black families, on black children. How can black lives matter if black minds don't matter? BLM has been co-opted. They've been co-opted by teachers unions. These teachers unions own the Democrats. They own BLM. And teachers unions, in my opinion... They kill our children's hopes and dreams. Education Minnesota is 94% white, yet they walk around acting like they're so woke that they understand what's best for black children. We know that that money that is supposed to be educating our children, that's not happening here in Minnesota. Well, that was not just anybody. I'll just stop my echo here. That is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. His name is Rashad Turner, the president executive director of uh, Minnesota Parent Union, sent a YouTube video called The Truth Revealed about BLM. He said BLM, quote, cared even less about improving the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. And he was made clear that when they publicly denounced charter schools alongside the teachers union, he, he went on to tell his story. He said, when I was two, my father was shot and killed. My mother wasn't able to take care of me. So I raised my grand, raised by my grandparents. And he wanted to detail about it. He still went ahead and became the first person in his family to get a degree, going on to get a master's in education. Quote, I am living proof that no matter where you start in life, quality education is a pathway to success. Resigning after uh, realizing BLM would not help him gain the same success for our children and our communities that he did. His video first posted on Wednesday. Uh, now, a BLM co-founder, Patrice Cullors, 37 years old, announced her own resignation from the group, blaming attacks trying to discredit her. Quote, we acknowledge the racists exist in the country, but explicitly reject the notion that the United States is a racist country. There's a subtle but significantly different, uh, the group is saying. So, uh, good luck with uh, the YouTube channel Take Charge Minnesota, which calls itself a new organization committed to countering the prevailing narrative that America is structured to undermine the lives of black Americans. I don't believe that. Do you? Here's a little of Karl Rove about where we're going politically. Cut 33. 
We've come as a country to accept that. We want every American to have the opportunity to rise, and if there's some, a need to help, give special help to those who come from poor circumstances, we're willing to do that as a country. It's a very different question to say, we don't care where you are financially, but if you are black or brown or Asian American, you know what, you get special privileges that other people don't get. And that's gonna be a very difficult and I think troublesome debate for the country to have. We hide behind the word equity. And that sounds, that's a nice equitable treatment. But we, 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 we had an agreement that we wanted equality, equality of opportunity. Equity implies an equality of outcome. And uh, we're that's going to key. therefore give uh, aid to people uh, based on their, the circumstances of their skin color, not simply the circumstances of their, of their financial background or the fact that they live in a poor area and are poor themselves. Big difference. When we come back, Sandra Smith will debate this and so much more and get ready for her show, America Reports. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here, everybody. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think many in the country threw up in their mouth a little bit when they heard that Dr. Anthony Fauci will be releasing a book on the pandemic, thereby profiting off the pandemic. You had Cuomo profiting off a pandemic, a government official. Now we have Fauci doing it as well. I think this is appalling. Uh, that was Joe Concha today uh, talking about the news and National Geographic books and a documentary will be coming out. November 3rd, Anthony Fauci, up close and personal. At which time, a lot of his emails through a Freedom of Information Act became public. And you see his decisions and his interactions with people along the way. And I've gotten through all of them, but some of them really stand out. And it just underlines how wrong he has been so often and the stakes uh, we're at stake for this country. Sandra Smith joins us now, co-anchor of America Reports. She's going to be on between 1 and 3 today. Sandra, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to see you in person. It's great to see anybody know, in person, too. I know. I know. It is good. So so when this when this book deal was, came out, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, the fact that he says he's going to offer us the truth in this new book, we certainly hope that the top infectious disease doctor that's been with this country through the pandemic has been giving us the truth. Brian, I think at some point we all stopped and realized that this was someone who didn't step away from the spotlight. In fact, he stepped into the spotlight when he didn't need to. He was there to give the science, to help make the decisions, to offer advice to the White House, to the CDC and others. But yet he graced the cover covers of many of our most notable magazines in this country. Daily Caller tweet this morning, are you sick of this guy yet? It's captioned and it posted every major magazine cover he's been on through this pandemic in style. Time, People Magazine, I believe we can turn this around was the headline. Um, So while Dr. Fauci was someone early on that we all turned to, listened to, respected. Even our doctors here at Fox News Channel said this is a a highly respected doctor. We're listening to him. Uh, He did not shy away from the publicity. In fact, he embraced it. I can't even get my head around why he does it and why he got such an easy time always on it. Dr. Fauci, should my kid go to school? Dr. Fauci, what should I wear over my mouth? Should I wear goggles? Uh, The name of his book is going to be Expect the Unexpected, 10 Lessons on Truth, Service, Mm -hmm. and the Way Forward. Now, some of these exchanges, he's he's been wrong so often, 
right? He's been wrong about will this pro- will, will this pandemic be a problem? He told John Casamitidis mm-hmm. it won't be a problem. He was wrong about we don't need masks. We remember that soundbite. Mm-hmm. And then in this email exchange, I found this fascinating. Science Magazine quoted a top Chinese official saying the United States and other Western nations were making a big mistake by not telling people in their countries to mask up. So Science Magazine said, yeah, that's exactly what this guy said. This guy's name is George Gao, uh, and he is a, uh, a senior Chinese scientist who is friends with Anthony Fauci. When this story came out, he quickly emailed Fauci and said this. I saw the science interview. How could I say such a word, big mistake, about others? That was a journalistic word. Hope you understand. Fauci writes back, let's beat this thing together. That's March 28th. The big story is the Chinese were telling Fauci to mask up. And then they were apologized for saying he was wrong. Why weren't we masking up if it was so effective? That's the story here. And he knew it. He knew the Chinese were telling him something different than he was telling us. Yeah. And I wonder if he'll give the truth on that in this new book. Um, those that are knocking the book, Tablet Magazine, I really need the people in charge of handling this pandemic to stop writing books about how they're handling this pandemic while they're still doing it, sort of taking a page out of the uh, Andrew Cuomo playbook. But the release of this book is not coming without some harsh criticism from members of Congress. I'm sure you've seen Jim Jordan's tweet, Dr. Fauci took away your First Amendment rights during the pandemic, but relied on the First Amendment to write his new book. Senator Rand Paul, as you can recall throughout, um, all of this has had some fiery exchanges in some of these hearings over the pandemic. Senator Paul put out, told you, hashtag fire Fauci. Can't wait to see the media try to spin the Fauci FOIA emails. It just seems, Brian, that we were not getting the truth all along, and the American people deserved that. This has been an un- unbelievable time for our country, and uh, to be writing a book, it seems a bit insensitive at this point, considering, I don't know, I've got a six and eight-year-old. They're still wearing masks to school all day, every day. We're still living this pandemic. Right. How about this? New York is going to keep the mask mandate in place. Are you kidding? I think we fall kids deaths. are still wearing them. That's so wrong. There's yeah. no reason for it. They weren't even susceptible to begin with. Yeah. The teachers say, well, I don't want my kids carrying it to me. They all got vaccinated yeah. or chose not to be. That, to me, is pure power. Yeah. I have the power to put your kids in masks. And maybe you don't have the power to write a check to get your kid in a private school. That's not good. I. That's why I take issue with everybody talking about this wonderful grand return to normal. While that feels good and we want to get back to some sort of normal, uh, things certainly aren't normal for kids at school, kids in sports. Uh, their lives are certainly still changed. And, Brian, I still think about all these small, small businesses around the country. You've got 8.1 million job openings. People won't apply for them. If you're running a restaurant or a small shop anywhere in mid, you know, middle America, it's tough to get anybody to show up for work. They're collecting unemployment checks that make more sense for them to stay at home. Right. And so I think that the, there's not a normal for a lot of Americans. So I think we have to, to be careful and sort of you know, painting that with a broad brush. And I know I'm going to talk about this later on your show between one and three. But it looks like a lot of people, a lot of Americans don't want to go back to work five days a week. And some companies might cooperate because there's a theory that – Maybe you can be productive on certain things when you're home. Then you get a lot of reading done, other things done. You have scheduled meetings that you have to do. Uh, You have less commuting, less liability. I actually don't think you can stimulate innovation 
working at home, stimulate relationships working at home. Quick anecdotal story on that. I'm dropping my kids off at swim one day, and there's this dad. He walks in. He's got three little kids all around him. He's got a laptop under one arm. He's got a cell phone up on the other. He said, I'll I'll write it up. Just just give me an hour. I'll write it up. I'm I'm dropping the kids off at swim. And I'm thinking, that would have never flown two years ago. You could have never multitasked and gotten away with saying, I haven't gotten something done because I'm shuffling my kids off off to swim practice. 28% of Americans that were at in an office full-time pre-pandemic say that they will not go back to full in-person work five days a week. People have experienced life in a different way. Right. I think that they've, they've, they've seen themselves that they can keep up with productivity. They can manage better tasks with the family. And so I think it's going to be a major negoti- negotiating tactic for many of the big corporations that are going to have to tell those that they're trying to hire that you can sort of have this hybrid work model. I guess so. And we'll see what, see if they could save money, too, on maybe leasing a floor. Now they have less leasing space, yep. less we're worry about, less desk space, electricity, and everything else. So 8 in 10, this is going to a consumer tracking poll, 8 in 10 said they plan to dine out at a restaurant at some point this summer. Mm-hmm. I'm way ahead of that. Yep. Uh, half plan to return to a movie theater. Two and three would take an overnight trip by car and enroll their children in youth sports. More than four in 10 plan to take a domestic flight. Not many people I know are going overseas to other countries. We're like doing the best out of anywhere outside the UK. Oh, well, actually, I should check that because the UK is starting to lock down again. Yep. There might be a variant they can't handle. Uh, yeah, so if you want to say take your family to Greece this summer, great. You can book your flight and you can book your hotel. But if you want grandparents that live in London, for example, to come meet you, you, you can't make that happen right now. Canada. There's a lot Canada of Canada is not letting though. us through. Yeah. But our southern border is wide open. Uh, well, that's and that's fair. And that's a tragic story. This five-year-old on the border crying, screaming. I, I don't know about you, Brian, but those images get to me. And it just seems like this is an administration that's not getting it done when they promised that they would address the problems at the border and the root problems, not seeing it. Sandra, I think you're so calm, cool, and collected about it. It's, to me, your government has very few massive universal obligations. One is to protect us. They're not doing it. Yep. You saw the pipeline in the southern uh, southern part of, uh, of America, southeastern part of America. We know it gassed it, doubled, and a $5 million ransom was spent because uh, co- the colonial pipeline was brought down. Now we hear about the meat industry being held hostage, and we don't know if there's a ransom being paid there. We know one thing. These cyber attacks have come from Russia. Number two is uh, securing our borders. If Canada was pouring in with people, we feel just as we'd be just as ticked off as what's happening in Central America. We've got 150 countries represented coming through our southern border. The woman that was given the charge, the vice president, has no interest and is afraid of being labeled as the person in charge of the border. Instead of showing up and tackling it like we've all been uh, groomed to do, you tackle a challenge, see what happens. I'd rather fail trying than not try. She's going on one to on one trip, first trip in June. She was given this charge in, in March. She's going on one trip. She is going from Mexico to Honduras, I believe, in uh, Sunday and Monday. Mm-hmm. That's her trip of handling the border. Yeah. She wants to write checks to these countries. When those checks are going to go, okay, yeah, if you really want us to stop, I'm going to need a little bit more than that. That's called extortion. Trump did the opposite. I'm hitting you with tariffs. I'm taking away your aid until I see some production. Believe it or not, after stops and starts, 2019 worked. 2020 has failed spectacularly, and there's been zero accountability on it. How, how do you explain that? I think that's the problem is that nobody's willing to acknowledge before making change what was working, before you completely dismantle things just because 
it was done under former President Donald Trump. To your point, though, about the meat industry and this latest hack, you know, you've got this Geneva meeting coming up. The President Biden expected to sit down with Putin. I don't know, Brian, you tell me if you think that's actually going to happen. But how hard does President Biden actually press Vladimir Putin, if at all, on these issues? This can't be happening like that. These Russians were able to dismantle, hack into our meat industry and take it down within seconds. And I mean, you had spike in prices that doesn't affect just the U.S. consumer, restaurant supply change. I mean, this threw off a lot, Brian. And the thing is, these companies are going to have to spend millions of dollars protecting themselves from things like this happening again. You go back to the colonial pipeline attack, you still have energy prices sky high as a result today because there's fears this could happen tomorrow, the next day, and every day after that, Brian. So, yeah, back to your original point. Do I think it's going to come off? Yes. Uh, Unless there's something where they shut down our whole power grid. But they have done it. This guy, Sergei Rabaikov, who's the Russian deputy foreign minister, warned, warned that Vladimir Putin's government would send, quote, unpleasant messages to the U.S. if they did not discuss a wide range of issues at their upcoming meeting. OK, the Americans must assume that a number of signals from Moscow will be uncomfortable for them, including the coming days. Boom. Then this happens. Mm-hmm. What happened last week happened within their borders. Don't tell me that Vladimir Putin can't control it. Mm-hmm. You know what the president's going to be focusing on, our president? Mm-hmm. He's going to be focusing on green energy, mm-hmm. climate change, and human rights. Excuse me. No offense. They don't care about human rights. They have jailed they, the last, the head of a uh, free Russia, open Russia, was just pulled off a plane yesterday. Mm-hmm. Navalny is yeah. wasting away and will probably die in prison. Do you think they care? And you know what Lavrov said to mm-hmm. yesterday in a statement? We are going to bring up to Joe Biden the way the rioters were treated after January 6th. It mm-hmm. bothers us that they're still in jail, tongue firmly in cheek. That, to me, is not the setup of somebody that's going to send Russia a message. I I think we'll learn really quickly where Joe Biden's priorities are when he sits down for a conversation like that. Not to mention the fact that back home, which could also be weakening our stance in the world, globally, you're, you're looking at taxes going up, not just on individuals, but on corporations that will lessen our buying power all over the globe. But I don't know if you've had Larry Kudlow on here recently. Why are we doing this? We're spending billions, trillions of dollars on these new spending proposals by Joe Biden. And then you saw buried in those Friday numbers in the budget proposal what the economic growth is that this administration is forecasting as a result of these trillions of dollars spent. Two, less than 2%. Oh, my God. Over a decade. Did not see that. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if, if Trump engaged in that level of spending and then promised the country less than 2% growth? You would ask, why are you doing it? And... That question has to be answered. you got that big business background, but I will say this. Coming off a pandemic, which we was, the whole economy was started, if you want to show an increase, it's kind of easy. All you have to do is put the switch on, and you're going to get astronomical growth. Bingo. They're going to say, wow, is this economy growing? But instead, he uses the guaranteed growth and says, look what I'm doing. But you, he doesn't know it because you can't see potential growth. Where could it have been if you got out of the way and stopped spending? And that's what 21 states are doing now. They've said enough of the supplemental unemployment. we got to get back to work. Listen, when we come back, what you were bringing up to me in the break, I want to bring up, I have not brought up yet, and that is tennis. Mm. Naomi Osaka. She's been uh, probably one of the most talented uh, tennis stars on the circuit for the last five years. 
burst onto the scene by beating Serena Williams. She decided to bow out on the French Open because she says she suffers from depression and does not want to talk to the press. There's something more to that story. We'll discuss it when we come back. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I really respect Naomi for being a spokesperson, and she has been the darling of the media. That's what makes this really interesting. Um, the media have really built her up and have, have helped her brand very, very much. You know, on the one side, I have so much sympathy for her. On the other side of the coin is that the press is very instrumental in the growth of the game, and I think it's very crucial to tennis. I think it brings stories to the fans. It dissects matches. I think these press conferences are a responsibility to the players. Chris ever knows, believe me, she didn't want to. She said, after I lost 13 times in a row to Martina Navratilova, do you think I wanted to sit down and talk to the press? Believe me, I think women's tennis was bigger in the 70s and 80s when she was at her best. Uh, with me now is Sandra Smith, a college athlete, uh, a Division One athlete, track, uh, track athlete in her own right, understands it and is a big tennis fan. And we're talking about Naomi Osaka, who said, I'd rather bow out of the French Open uh, rather than play the French Open because I suffer from depression and I don't want to give interviews. Sandra, you want to weigh in on this. I think this is a very complex story, and she's a young woman, a very successful young woman who's been through a lot. Um, I think that there was a system put in place, and that was your find if you don't uh, talk to the press, and she was willing to pay that fine, so I'm not quite sure why they made it a bigger issue than that. And if she didn't show up to talk again, it becomes a bigger issue. I'm sure her sponsors won't like it. I believe the market works itself out with some of these things. Um, I suppose we just have to take her at her word that she's got mental health problems that are preventing her from talk, uh, from talking, and there's a lot of support for her for that. But that's not how she initially came out and said she didn't want to talk to the press. So I think that's what caused a lot of the confusion. To your point about me and D1 Sports, LSU down in Baton Rouge, one of the first things I did before I started traveling with that team was I had media training because it was an important part of being an athlete. We needed to talk to the press. The press covered us respectfully. We needed to respectfully speak to the press. And as a professional athlete, she does have an obligation to talk to the press, to grow the sport, to grow her own brand. Um, so I think this is a really Really sticky story, and I think you could see a lot of change, not just in tennis, but in sports in general as a result. One of the things they said is, look, she she has anxiety about it. Let's say that's true. We have to go on our word. You can't accuse someone of making up Correct. depression. Got it? So how do you feel about this? They said some of these questions get very personal, and they said, what about a moderator? A moderator would sit there taking the question say, well, it's the fourth time we've asked the same version of the question. We'll move on. Uh, you think that's a problem? Should be I, open. Think, I think that's a problem. I think that she – as a professional athlete in the sport, getting paid handsome amounts of money to compete, needs to be trained to handle those questions. We were at the collegiate level. Uh, there's a way to handle that. You talk to the press all the time as well, being in the press, Brian. You know how to handle those questions. As a professional athlete, top of your game, you, it's a huge responsibility and a huge obligation. Especially individual sport. But I will say this. Remember Marshawn Lynch famously, he didn't want to speak to the press. He's in the Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks. And he said, I'm just, his answer was, I'm just here so I don't get fined. And everyone made fun of that. And he actually has endorsements since then. But NFL stood by their rule. You have to talk to the press. If you take the best player and say you don't have rules, the next best player is going to go with Naomi rules. So I understand what tennis is doing. I think that's fair. 
We're I think gonna, it's going to work itself out. You know it's going to work itself out? Everybody listening right now will watch Sandra Smith from 1 to 3 with John Roberts. America Reports. Thank you, Brian. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.